Let's sing this together. Even when I don't see it. Come on, even when. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop.
Good morning, Carpenter's Way. If you're here, would you stand up on your feet, please? I'm going to pledge allegiance. I'm just playing. <laughs> uh, happy 4th of July. Uh, it's super cool that we get this opportunity. You know, like you look across the world, people that are having to go underground and all those kind of things, and just stuff that we take so for granted, the freedom that we have to come together. So really cool to be able to, to celebrate this today. Uh, we're going to sing this song called Children of God. It's out of Romans chapter 8. Just this reminder that there is no condemnation for you. There's no condemnation for you as a child of God. And because of that, um, nothing can separate you, right? There's no, nothing in all creation. There's no power of hell. There's no angels, no demons, not death, not life. None of that can take you out of his hand. So let's celebrate that this morning. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has redeemed us. From death into life now we walk in his freedom. We are the children of God. There you go, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has redeemed us. From death into life now we walk. Thank you. 
alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested my life began ash was redeemed only pity remains my orphan heart was given a name my morning grew quiet and my feet rose to dance when death was arrested my life began It's your Chains, I'm a prisoner. My shame was a ransom. He faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend.
So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a sorry, body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. I know what it's like to try to earn his love. I know what it's like to feel you're not enough. Running from the sin that you can't hide. And the guilt you feel trying to sleep at night. He came and found me yet my very words he gave me life that i did not deserve i am forgiven now by his good grace because of his mercy i'll never be the same This love, this love unending, this grace, this is perfect and it's so complete I didn't have to burn what he's given me I am adopted saved by his blood oh Jesus my Savior will always be
For this love, this love unending, this grace, this grace amazing, my heart, my heart is singing, worthy of all of my praise, worthy of all. To Jesus, I surrender all. To Him, I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. Yes, I surrender all to Thee, my blessed Savior. Surrender Jesus, I surrender humbly at His feet. I worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take
do here at your feet I bow come take me now I give it all to you do what you want to do But God, that's our prayer this morning, Lord, that we see these words, we say things like surrendering all and, and giving it all to you and take us, and Lord, I don't know that we really understand what that means. So Lord, this morning as, as Adam comes up and we open your word, God, we ask to let you make that a little bit more clear to us this morning. What does it mean to not just call on you when we want you, when we think we need you? God, truly surrender because of what you have done. Truly surrender, Lord, because there's nothing that can take us out of your hand. God, we ask that you speak to our hearts, speak to our minds this morning. Amen, amen. Well, happy 4th of July to everyone. Yeah. Freedom. Fireworks. Barbecue. Yeah. We're going to have a good time on 4th of July uh, this morning, and uh, I hope your plans for the rest of the day uh, go as you want them to. And that you have fun with family and friends, uh, and that it's just a good fellowship for you. Um, uh, Not very much by way of announcements this morning. I do just want to remind you that uh, we send out a virtual bulletin now. Uh, And so uh, be sure to sign up uh, with with Wendy or Dolores. Uh, Give them your your email address, and uh, we'll get that virtual bulletin sent out to you. And you can keep up with all of the happenings of Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, all right? Man, there are times in life when you just don't see clearly. There are times in life when you just don't see clearly. Uh, One time in my life, uh, when I didn't see clearly, uh, Amber and I, we were uh, were married, and we're sleeping at night. It was nighttime, and then we hear this loud bang, bang, and we both sit up in the bed. What was that? Oh, my gosh. What was going on? And so then she's laughing. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So Adam goes to the door to check what's going on. What is happening out here? And I look through the the little peephole, right? And then I hear two more bangs and see two flashes of light. Bang, bang. What? I hit the deck. I run back to the room. I'm like, Amber, stay down. I'm going to go get the kid. And I go all the way back across to the other side of the house and I grab my child and, and I, I run back over there, stay here with mom. I grab my gun and I'm hunkered down. <laughs> what is going on here? I stay there for 10 minutes. I can't feel my legs because I've been crunched down for so long. <laughs> so Amber's like texting the neighbors, and her, did you hear that bang bang? And they were like, yeah, we heard the bang bang. What is going on? We called the police, you know? So the police show up, and I'm like, I'm looking out the door. I think, it's, I think it's got to be a burglar or something like that, right? Well, I go out and talk to the police, and they're like, dude, your transformer blew up. <laughs> what? what? Okay. So I feel a little bit sheepish at this point. <laughs> All right. Sometimes you don't see clearly. <laughs> Uh, Quite another time in my life, uh, I was probably 11, 12, somewhere in there, 10 years old, 
there was this play that our church used to put on. It was called uh, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Anybody heard of that one? All right, yeah, okay. So uh, one of the characters in this uh, play, uh, he, he had a cape. It was a black cape. On the inside, it was red. It was really awesome. It was the devil's cape, but that doesn't matter because I took it and I donned it. I put it on and I went outside running around playing uh, in this cape, Batman, whatever. It was a lot of fun. And uh, so then it was time for me to go back inside uh, as I hear my people calling for me, Adam, come inside. So I start running to go inside. Now the entrance that I was going to use had a sliding glass door. You see where this is going already, don't you? <laughs> Whoever did their job that day cleaned this glass door very, very well because uh, I thought it was open. It was not. And I ran right into that sucker. Boom! I almost knocked myself unconscious. And then my dad came out. I was like, what are you doing in the cape? He wasn't even like, are you okay? He was like, take the cape off. Come inside. <laughs> Sometimes you don't see clearly. <laughs> now, a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, no, 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 this isn't Star Wars, but really, a long time ago, uh, people thought that it was the sun that revolved around the earth, right? But then science, yay, science came along and told us, oh, no, wait, that's not right. It is the earth that revolves around the sun. Sometimes you just don't see clearly. In fact, sometimes when it comes to the way that we view Jesus, uh, we sometimes don't see him clearly. Uh, we sometimes have a view of him that is uh, not as full as it could be. And so because of that, we can convince ourselves that we are supremely important. That it is we, that is us, that is I. It's at least possible, I think, that we've convinced ourselves that we are the center of the universe. Everything revolves around us, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but uh, I wake up, wake up in the morning thinking about me. I think about me all day long, and I go to sleep thinking about me, right? Okay, so I, I, maybe you do have, have that thing, too. And sometimes we see our country, America as supreme, right? The center of the universe, America. And so it's at least possible, I think, that we've convinced ourselves that, that God is so lucky to have us. Like there he was, all alone in heaven, with nothing much to do, just kind of twiddling his thumbs around, and then, uh, bam! Here we are. And now he gets to think about us all the time, Right? And he sent Jesus to make you happier and happier and you happier and you, you get some happy and you get some happy, right? And since we're so special, Jesus must exist for us, right? That's not exactly what Scripture has to say about Jesus. And if this way of thinking about him, this way of viewing Jesus continues, if it persists, then it will be all the more difficult for us to live completely for the glory of King Jesus. Especially with how the world is just getting so weird 
and it's only getting weirder, right? But that's exactly what Scripture calls us to do. It commands us to do. In Matthew 22, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And in Matthew 4, verse 10, the last part of that verse, Jesus has been uh, tempted by the devil. And at this point, the devil has said, like, here's all the, all the kingdoms of the earth are yours. All you need to do is, is bow down to me, right? And then Jesus says, as Scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In Matthew 6, 33, the first part of that verse, Jesus has been talking about, uh, you know, worrying and, and all of these things that you worry about having and uh, food and, and things on your back and clothes and, and stuff. But Jesus says, no, that's not so important. What's more important is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. And so my prayer for us today is that we begin to see Jesus as he is right now. And that it would cause our adoration for him to grow exponentially. And that that adoration would lead to our motivation to live completely for, for King Jesus. All right. So I want to begin this morning kind of by uh, showing you some views of Jesus that aren't quite right. They're, they're false, all right? Now, let's start with Jesus, the EMT. Jesus, the EMT. What do EMTs do, right? You call them up, 911, have an emergency, all right? And they send this person out in a, in a medical truck to come and, what, fix something for you, Right? You have a health issue. You need something fixed, right? Now, in this view, Jesus the EMT, you, you only call on Jesus when you have a crisis. That's the only time you really have any interaction with him. Otherwise, he's, he's right here in your shirt pocket. You know, the little Jesus right here. You stay there, okay? You see there. And when I need you, uh, I'm going to call on you to come fix something for me, right? Uh, now, there are true tragedies and crises out there. I, you know, I'm not making small of crises or anything like that. You know, but for instance, your, your, your marriage is rocky. It's, it's falling apart. Or you, you do have a health crisis. It's, it's cancer or something else. Or you're in a financial crisis and you call on Jesus. Or maybe it's something like you didn't get the right president this time around. Like, Jesus, I need you to come and fix this president situation. Okay? He's making all the gas prices go up. I can't deal. Or you scored an F on that really important test. Jesus, I need you to come and fix this for me. All right? But really, he's only allowed to show up in your life when you need fixing. Uh, and largely, he's excluded from personal interaction with you on a regular basis. All right? Now, Jesus, the Santa Claus, let's move on. Jesus, the Santa Claus. In this view of Jesus, he, he brings you presents. He brings you good things. And that's about all. That's about it. All right? 
You get the new uh, job promotion. Uh, you have extra money in the budget this month to spend. Or you ace that really important test. All right? or, or you get the dream car, the dream vacation. You're raising your children to not embarrass you, and they don't embarrass you. Right? Like, this is, this is all good things. He brings you good things, but you don't really treasure a relationship with him. You don't, you don't have any, or you don't feel any awe toward Jesus when you think about him this way, when you see him only this way. All right, next. Jesus, the grandfather. Okay, Jesus, the grandfather. This isn't a knock on grandparents, okay? Because when you raise your kids, right, and then they have kids, you get to just, here, have all the candy. It's nine o'clock. Now go see your mom. Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do, right? No, but in this view of Jesus, he gives you what you want, uh, but he doesn't really make any demands on your life. He doesn't really hold you accountable to anything, right? Like, thanks, Jesus, for the new car, but I think that's all for now. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go on doing things my own way, and I'm going to choose to ignore the fact that you've given me a way to live in your word, and so... Thanks, but, but no thanks. Can I have $5? $5? Yeah. And you may have heard me talk about this one before. Uh, Jesus, the genie, right? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Poof, what do you need? Right? Another way to say it is Jesus, the, the, the cosmic bellhop, right? He quickly appears at your beckoning call, right? And he... Uh, comes to serve you. He comes to, to serve you. But then he fades back into the shadows. I'm not here. Or he goes back into his little, his little lamp, right? Phenomenal cosmic power! Right? He fades back into the shadows when you don't need him. So it's like, Jesus comes out. Ah! What do you need? And you're like, hey, I want... Trump as president again. Or, or I wish uh, I could have a trouble-free life, uh, a life that doesn't have any pain or suffering in it. You can do that for me, right, Jesus? Uh, I need all of this suffering to stop so that I can be happy again. Do this for me. Do that for me. And if he does, when he does, you stick him right back here. Stay there, Jesus call on you when I need you to fix something or to not hold me accountable to something or uh, to serve me. Listen to this quote from a worship leader. It's kind of lengthy, so just bear with me, all right? Often, it feels to me as if for many of our people, singing praise songs and hymns on Sunday morning has turned into an affair with Christ. Many are far more passionate about worldly concerns, such as getting ahead at school, finding personal happiness, driving a new car, or winning awards. But we rarely ever get that excited about Christ himself. Except when we enter a sanctuary or a worship center on a Sunday, and then for a while, we end up sort of swooning over Jesus with 
feel-good music, heart-stirring prayers, only to return to the daily grind of secular seductions to which we are thoroughly married. Christ is more like a mistress to us. He's someone with whom we've have, we have these periodic affairs to energize our spirits so that we can return refreshed to those parts of our lives that are more important. Is Jesus our football mascot? Do we trot him out on Sunday morning uh, to cheer us up, to give us new energy? Woohoo! He lifts our spirits, he builds our confidence, and he gives us reason to cheer. We're so very proud of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. But each performance of our mascot is, is brief. And then he disappears. He is sent to the sidelines. He's put on hold until the next setback or the next thing that we need him to fix or the next gift that we need, the next good thing. But now he's served his purpose, right? And so everyone feels better. And for the rest of the week, he's pretty much relegated to the sidelines. Little Jesus in my pocket. And for all practical purposes... We're really the ones calling the shots. We're the ones who are scrambling for, for first downs and uh, improvising in a pinch and shaking and baking and make things happen, right? Our cheers may be for Jesus, well, but our victories, those are for us. That's my victory. We have... Not all of us, perhaps some of us. We all might be guilty of this at some point. We've redefined Jesus into someone that we can both admire and ignore at the same time. So now I've set a very bleak stage for us. Let's go to Scripture and see what Scripture has to say. We're going to jump into Acts, and Acts is going to help set the stage for us as we build this case of who Jesus is, okay? Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It reads this way. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and, and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. And now in verse 9, a little bit, skip down just a little bit, verse 9 of the same chapter. After saying this, Jesus is speaking, uh, after Jesus was done speaking, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And, that, uh, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right, so 
Let's back it up in verse 2. Until the day he was taken up. Okay, this is referring to the day that Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, right? He is, uh, he's come from resurrection and he's spent 40 days uh, with, with disciples and other people proving to them that he's still alive and then he ascends from the Mount of Olives, okay? Now, during the days following his resurrection... Christ continued to prove to his followers that he was the Messiah, right? We've established that. And uh, that the two white-robed uh, people that show up there, those are angels, okay? And these angels announce something, and they say that Jesus is going to return visibly. He's going to return uh, the same way that he went in his second coming, when he comes back. Okay, now this is what I'm setting up for you, all right? This is the question, okay? Do you know what happened right after Jesus ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives? Do you know what happened immediately after that? Because this is really cool, all right? We're going to go to Psalms, Psalm 110, 110. Now, Psalm 110 tells us what happens, all right? Uh, this is an Old Testament passage, and it's, one of, it's the most quoted Old Testament passage from New Testament writers, all right? And it provides for us a foundation uh, for a high Christology of Jesus, right? A high view of Jesus. King David is the one who writes this psalm, who wrote this psalm. And he's one of the most successful kings uh, of ancient Israel, right? And he writes this psalm. And he writes it about 1,000 years before Christ actually ascends from the Mount of Olives, okay? And God, in his infinite, infinite power, right, miraculously shows David these precise events that will happen far in the future, okay? About 1,000 years, right? Now, after Jesus ascended... Uh, from the Mount of Olives, as Acts said, he ascends into heaven. And there he appears before his Father. And God the Father makes this really powerful statement to God the Son, Jesus. All right? Verses 1 and 2. We're going to hang out there for a moment. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. All right. So the Lord, God the Father, said to my Lord, God the Son, Jesus, He told Him to what? Be seated at the right hand throne. Why the right hand? Well, in ancient times, uh, the throne on the right was a symbol of, it represented uh, honor and authority and respect, okay? So God the Father placed the Son on the right hand throne. Why? Well, I think one reason is so that our attention could be riveted on Jesus as the, the clearest revelation of the Godhead, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? He's the clearest revelation of the Godhead. 
And from that day, that day that he ascended into heaven and walked into the throne room, and God said, be seated at my right hand, from that day till today, Jesus, the Christ, has been reigning as King of kings, as Lord of lords. Now some translations say uh, in the next part of that verse, until I make your enemies a footstool uh, for your feet. All right? I think our translation, the New Living Translation, until I, I humble your enemies, right? I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So in that day, kings sometimes demonstrated their ultimate domination over an enemy by uh, putting their foot on the other king's neck. Just like that, right? And God the Father here, he promised his son, Jesus, that, that he would bring all forces of evil under that same kind of domination until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, right? Can you, can you imagine it? Right? King Jesus, ruler of all things, standing in power and authority and with respect and honor, victorious over the evil one with his foot on the devil's neck. Throat punch. Well, he's not punching, right? But you get the picture. But not just the evil one, right? The verse says enemies, so it's plural. Who else is the enemy of God? Well, it's all those who reject the truth of Christ, who reject Christ as their Lord and Savior. All of those will be brought under the just king's rule. The next phrase says, The Lord sends forth from Zion your, your mighty scepter. Okay, in the New Living Translation, it says, The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. Okay. This phrase indicates that Jesus reigns in heaven, but also from heaven. Okay. He is the ruler of all those who adore him. He is also the ruler of all those who hate him. And at the end of time, his absolute rule will be clear to everyone as every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Imagine with me that Jesus, after arriving into heaven and he's walking down uh, the, 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 the throne room, right? He's walking up to his father. His father looks at him and, and says this, All you have accomplished for my people through your incarnation, your life of righteousness, your teachings, your healings, your atoning sacrifice, your definitive disabling of death are totally sufficient. You have done everything that is required for the reclamation of the entire universe. So come, my son, take the crown, take the glory, reign as king forever. The early church, and we've been working through Acts, and it's such an amazing book, 
because we get to see how the early church uh, kind of flourished. And they flourished. They had a profound impact on the world. And they, they grew so swiftly in number because they lived in the full awareness of their king's coronation. Right? This, Jesus ascending from the Mount of Olives... Right? They were kind of there for that. They might not have been on the, on the mountain, right? But like this happened in their lifetime. Their hearts were set completely on King Jesus as He was. Glorified. Reigning in power. Having all authority. A triumphant King. Now this... This next part, you know, is kind of just my opinion. Uh, we're, we're, we're very far removed from, like, living under the rule of a king. Right? Okay? So I think we certainly have a hard time understanding this idea of, of living for a king because we don't have a physical one. Right? Now, in a ancient times, the, the people would do the will of the king. Right? It wasn't like the, the will of the people, of everybody collectively. No, it was the will of the king. And they lived to do the will of the king. And they did it with gladness in their heart and with determination, even if it meant death for them. I think many of us, on the other hand, we live to do our own will, right? I mean, that's what the American dream is all about, yes? Right? I, as an American, have the right to the pursuit of my own happiness. And that happiness can be anything I want it to be. And I get to live the way I want. That's what being an American means. But when you, you see Jesus as he is, yes, it's right that, like, yes, you have rights as an American, okay? Yeah, but when you see Jesus as he is, Christ enthroned, it changes everything. It changes everything. When you realize that, that you love Jesus because he first loved you. Like, you know what real love is because of Jesus, while you were still a sinner, dead in your trespasses, Jesus came and He died for you, taking the wage of your sin, death, upon Himself. You know love because of Christ. When you realize that you were made for Him, made to worship Him, made to enjoy Him forever, because He is good, He is loving, He is just. He is faithful. He is holy. Set apart. It changes every aspect of the, of the Christian life. Okay. So now let's talk about the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. Okay. And we're going to be in Revelation chapter 1 verses 7 and 8. And I know I'm bouncing around a little bit. All right. Bear with me and st stick with me. Okay. Verse 7, it says this. This is John. Uh, John that was exiled to the island of Patmos. All right? And here, Jesus Christ himself gives John a final revelation. And it's just one revelation, by the way. It's not revelations. That's like saying Walmarts. Just putting that out there. 
Okay, here we go. Verse 7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega. This is Jesus talking. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. The Almighty One. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the one who is, who was, who is still to come. He was there in the beginning. John also talks about this in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in Genesis, we see him there as well. In the beginning, God, right? I love how Scripture interprets Scripture. So remember with me the last thing that the angels said to the disciples as they strained to see Jesus as he was ascending uh, from the Mount of Olives into heaven and he's out of their sight. What do they say to him? They say, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. How did he go? He was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And so here we have the final revelation from, from John given to John by Jesus to show his servants the events that must soon take place. And Jesus will return the same way that he went. And everyone will see it. Like that's kind of the really, I love that, that part. It's, this is not a secret event. Everyone will see Jesus descending from heaven in the clouds. Okay. Let's put a time out on Revelation and, and let's go to Thessalonians and then we'll, we'll come back, all right? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, it says this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a what? With a commanding shout, a cry of command. This, this, this word in Greek refers to a, a war shout, right? So Jesus is going to return, not exactly how we remember him going up, right? He's going to return a triumphant king, victorious king, giving the word of, the com of command to the hosts of heaven, at his final triumph over sin and death and Satan. With the trumpet of God, all right? So in Scripture, a lot of times, the trumpet call would be accompanied by appearances of God. And here, the trumpet call of God, it does kind of two things. Yes, here's an appearance of, of Jesus, of God, but also it's, it's to sounded to, to gather the people of God together. One final time. 
caught up together with them in the clouds. After the resurrection, Christ ascended in the clouds. And in his return, he descends in the clouds. And the dead in Christ will return with him in the clouds. And then all of the believers alive at that time will be gathered to that same grand meeting place. Okay, Jesus returns as a triumphant king. Let's go back to Revelation and see what else John has to say about Jesus. This description of Jesus. Here John is talking and he says, When, when, I, ret- when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing... Pay attention to this next part, yeah? He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the king's of death and the grave. Imagine with me at this moment that you're in your house. You're doing whatever it is you like to do in your house. Or maybe things that you don't like to do, but they have to be done anyway, right? Like fixing the plumbing or the laundry or whatever. So you're in your house and your house begins to shake. And brilliant light floods in everywhere and you hear the trumpet call of God and it's louder than the loudest stereo it's ten times louder than the loudest stereo you've ever heard and all your neighbors you and all your neighbors you run outside to see what's going on and you you lift your eyes up and at that very moment you see Jesus Christ the king the triumphant king split open the sky And he begins to descend. Thousands upon thousands of angels fill the sky and they begin to sing praise to the king. The sights and the sounds are are overwhelming. Your emotions, they're a jumble of, of indescribable joy and awe and a little bit of fear. church. That does not sound like a mascot to me. That doesn't sound like a Jesus that I can fit in my little pocket, right? That doesn't sound like someone that I can just make irrelevant to the rest of my life. That doesn't sound like someone who exists for me. 
I mean, like, did you, did you hear, did you read the description of Jesus that John gives, right? Hair as white as snow, and his eyes are like fire, and his feet are polished bronze, and there's a sword coming out of his mouth, and his voice sounds like thunder. His face is more brilliant at the, than the sun. Have you ever tried to look at the sun? This is not a good idea. Do not recommend it. But if you have, like I have, it's really hard to see afterwards. And all, like this is the best that John can do in his description of who Jesus is currently, right now. This is the best that he could do with what he was seeing. And then all he could do after that was fall at Jesus' feet as if he were dead. I can't, you can't put that Jesus in your pocket and make him irrelevant. Do you believe that Jesus at his second coming will be more powerful and more majestic than you could ever imagine? Yes. If you believe it as I do, you're absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. But here's another fact that I want to give you. And this one might blow your church socks all the way off your feet. Who Jesus will be at his second coming is precisely who Jesus is right now, today. So when you prayed to Christ this morning, were you seeing him as he is, as he will appear at the end of time? Or did you tend to picture Jesus the way he looked when he was walking the earth 2,000 years ago? Like, are you more likely to picture Jesus sitting on a rock with children on his knees, bouncing children, you know, are you more likely to, to picture Jesus that way than reigning from the throne of heaven? All right, like there's nothing wrong with seeing Jesus in his humanity because he is that, right? But he is also God. He is fully divine. And so there's more to the picture, right? We have to, we have to open that picture up. We can't just look through the little peephole anymore. We've got to open that up. He is more powerful and majestic than we can ever imagine. And that is who you have a relationship with. That is who you are talking to when you pray. You're talking to the Jesus whose face is more brilliant than the sun, whose eyes are like fire, whose feet are like bronze. You know, like, that's who you have a relationship with. And it, that boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. So what are we going to do with all this, right? So when you wear glasses, you see 100% of the world through those glasses, right? I wear glasses. If I take them off, I can see nothing. Everything is, is, is just a fuzz. I put my glasses on and then suddenly the whole world, everything I see, is clear as day, right? In the same way, when you begin to grasp 
And I say begin to grasp because I don't know if we can fully grasp it. We can try, right? But when you grasp the incomparable authority and majesty of Christ enthroned, well, it's almost like putting on glasses for the first time. And when you see everything through those lenses, the lens of the greatness of God's Son, all the aspects of the Christian life start to look different. Because Christ enthroned changes everything. So things like worship, the way I worship, prayer, the way I talk to the Father. Yeah, boldly we can approach the throne, but like let's do it with some humility too because Jesus is so powerful and majestic. Fellowship and gifts of the Spirit and evangelism and missions and lifestyle choices. Like all of a sudden, my highest priority for my little girl is not to see her become successful and like go to college and get a good job and, you know, like have a better life than I did, right? That's not my highest goal for my little girl, for my children. No, my highest goal for them is to see the majesty and the power of King Jesus. And because Christ is enthroned, that she ought to live her life completely for the glory of King Jesus. Not completely for the glory of Josie Bale. Right? Things change because Christ is enthroned. The way we see our sin world crises and personal crises and the way we look at politics and interact with all that stuff, right? It changes because now we have these Jesus glasses on, if you will. Christ is enthroned and it changes everything. So rather than prayers that, that like have me as the focus, Christ Come serve me. Come fix this thing. I need a good gift. I need a miracle from you. Well, you know what? Christ has already done a biggest miracle for you. And that's to rescue you out of your deadness. Out of your sin. Something you can't do for yourself. What more do you need? Our prayers are transformed to this. Mighty Christ. On your throne. How can I join you today? How can I make your name great today? How can I increase your fame today? Yes, God, I, I recognize that I, I made some plans for my life, but I'm going to be humble enough to walk in the steps that you determine. And so we are compelled to Stop seeing loving people and serving people and serving and, and, and uh, advancing God's kingdom as an inconvenience or as something that's, that's dangerous. And it may be dangerous, but we're transformed into cherishing every opportunity to advance His kingdom and to awaken someone else to the majesty and the power and the glory of King Jesus. We become less concerned about the American dream, less concerned about being happy and pursuing my own happiness. And we are overjoyed to, to, to pour out our lives for King Jesus, living on mission with Him. 
even when that means I am uncomfortable. Even when that means my plans didn't go according to the way I planned them. Even when that means I'm in a dangerous place or a situation. I mean, like, what's the worst that can happen? And we hear Pastor Wilkie talking about this all the time, right? What's the worst that could happen? They, they kill us. Okay, so in the words of Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live here, I get to do more fruitful work for the kingdom. So God, extend my life here so that I can awaken more people to your majesty and your power and your glory. And so, we're bringing it to a close. Just as we found out all those years ago through science that it is not the sun that revolves around the earth, rather it is the earth that revolves around the sun. So too do we find today that it is we who revolve around the sun, the Son of God. So there are two uh, two things I want to leave you with to think about as we go from this place. Begin to see Jesus as He is. He's the Savior of the world. He's currently reigning in power and authority and honor and respect. He is King of the universe. He's King of your heart. And His glory is overwhelming. The second thing is this. Begin to see yourself in light of who Jesus is. And recognize that we exist completely for the glory of King Jesus. Let your heart be, be warmed to Him. And your motivation to love and serve Him become all the more robust. Let's grow in this. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can be here together and we celebrate the freedom that we have in our country. Thank you, God, for giving that to us. God, we recognize that the freedom that we have in Christ is way more valuable Jesus, our hearts are in awe of you today as we think about who you are, what you've done, and who you are now. That you are literally holding us together, the fabric of the universe. You are glorious and righteous and powerful and just and faithful and holy and loving, kind and gentle and patient with us I'm really glad that you're patient (laughs) especially with me God as we go from this place would you help our hearts to just be set on seeing you as you are and because of that Lord that everything about the Christian life everything about our journey of faith with you would will begin to change. 
Help us to recognize that you're not a little Jesus and that we can't keep you in our pocket. You're not irrelevant to the rest of our lives. You are personally involved with every detail. God, we give you glory today, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right, so today I don't think that we're doing our Bible studies, and so you are dismissed, and we'll see you next week. Love you guys. I've called your name some broken night And you showed up and patched me up like